Carla and Trudy had become friends, of a sort. They met one night after Carla found me lying in the hallway, coming in and out of a drunken blackout. Trudy's heart was in the right place that night, but her body was not. Carla found her straddling me with my pants down around my ankles. I later learned nothing happened, but it's still a moment in time I don't care to look at too closely. With Trudy's help, Carla dragged me inside, and the rest is history. Now, whenever their paths cross, they exchange conversation, which mostly centers around Carla urging Trudy to make some lifestyle changes. Who the fuck did this to you, Trudy? Trudy shrugged and took a long drag of her cigarette, closing her eyes as she exhaled twin plumes of smoke through her nose. Thick black makeup was caked on her eyelids and beneath the hollow shells of her eyes, making her skin look more sallow than usual. Trudy is the color of despair. What that looks like is a box of crayons that's melted into a soupy pile and the stronger hues have taken over so that you only get a speck here and there of actual color melded into the cold, dull tint of sadness. And what's this? Carla grabbed Trudy's arm and pointed at the track marks. Trudy yanked her arm away. Leave me alone, Carla. I would have chuckled at the exchange had the mood in the room been less somber. Getting Carla to leave anything alone once she dug in her heels was an exercise in futility. She's like one of those yippy dogs with a bone when she sets her mind to something, and by the look on her face, she'd set it on saving Trudy. No, I don't think I will, Trudy. Morneau finds you passed out in the hallway, you're a walking bruise, and you think I'm going to leave you alone? Trudy stubbed out her cigarette. You want to do something for me? Help me find my son. Nothing about that statement left me feeling at ease. You have a son? Carla scooted back on the couch and put her arm around Trudy. Social services took him away four years ago. Scott's folks want to adopt him. I got this letter. Trudy lifted up a corner of the couch cushion she was sitting on and pulled out a folded envelope, handing it to Carla. Carla opened the letter and read it silently, then passed it to me. It was a termination of parental rights form sent by the state of Michigan's Department of Social Services. Who's Scott? Trudy grimaced. My ex. Parents are Bible thumpers. Always hated me. They moved away last year when they got temporary custody. You want him back? Carla's tone was gentle but cautious. Trudy shook her head vigorously and swiped a finger under one eye to catch a tear. I'll never get him back, and I don't deserve him. But I want to know he's okay. She turned to face me. I just need to get a look at him, Morneau. Can't you find out where he is? (sighs) Shit. This was a can of worms I had no interest in opening. Carla's questioning appraisal of me barely masked whatever was already percolating between her bleeding heart and stubborn temperament. 
I don't think there's anything I can do to help you, Trudy. I watched her light another cigarette with shaking hands. Well, I mean, I'm sure we can... Carla began. But when I said her name with a note of warning, it buzzed past her like a sprightly fly. My assistant swatted the metaphorical insect out of the air. We'll look into it, Trudy. Give me their names, the last place they lived, whatever you've got that could lead us to them. Trudy got up and went to her bedroom. This is not going to end well, Carla. We'll see. Carla shrugged away my admonition as Trudy came back with a shoebox. Here's all the papers I have. She handed the box to Carla. Carla pulled the top off and peeked inside, then closed it. All right, I'll go through this and see what I can find, but if we do this, I want a promise from you, Trudy. Whatever you need, Trudy said, but she said it too quickly. There was too much hope in her eyes for me to be anything other than uncomfortable about how this would play out. I don't need anything, but you need to get into rehab. As soon as you see your kid, as soon as we get that arranged, then we're going to take you. I know a halfway house in the area that works with women. Helps them get off drugs and get a job and all of that. I knew it was a bad idea the minute it came out of her mouth. I suspect Trudy did too. But at the time, she would have chewed off her own hand if that meant getting to see her son. Trudy sucked in a breath and nodded again. Okay. But what I heard was something much less than okay. What I heard was the ominous beating of wings in the distance, a sound I always associate with death. Carla spent the morning going through the shoebox of old paperwork. Before she'd relocated to Detroit, Trudy lived in a small town south of Cadillac called Reed City and worked in a Yoplay plant. From a public record search, we learned that Trudy and her boyfriend at the time had been arrested for methamphetamine production when the tiny single-wide trailer they lived in with their then five-year-old child had exploded. Luckily, Trudy and the child weren't home at the time. The boyfriend hadn't been so fortunate. The trip to Reed City was only a three-and-a-half-hour ride, but because we'd gotten such a late start, we planned to stay overnight, given we were going to have to do some running around to pull together all the information we needed. As soon as we got in the car, Carla turned the radio up to an ear-splitting decibel with some god-awful CD playing. Jeez, woman! What kind of crap is this? I turned the volume down. Careful, old man. Your age spots are showing. Based on her delivery, I was pretty sure she'd been waiting to use that line for some time. First stop, libations. Carla clapped her hands together once. Head to the nearest liquor store so we can stock up. Will a trunk full be enough, or should I lay down the back seat? She bit her bottom lip and chuckled. What Carla doesn't realize is that I can see through her to the facade beneath which she hides. It's become her daily burden. She once accused me of being all bluster, but I'm beginning to think that's a more accurate description of her. Bluster and bravado mask the weight of her past life and the horror of its outcome. It's all a part of the armor she's donned for protection. 
Carla Danning is hammered brass over a gelatinous core. I can almost see the sweet girl she was once upon a time, but I doubt she even remembers that girl. Too much has happened in the interim. If she were to risk a look over her shoulder, she might wonder where that little girl ran off to, perhaps even miss her. But in the end, she knows wherever that little girl is, she's safer there. She was never any match for this world. I can see all of this when I look at Carla. It's why I end up letting her talk me into things I know will end badly. She still has the soul of that little girl inside her. Unconscious sense memory driving her every action. There's something kind of pure about that level of conviction. It tends to override my general sense of informed practicality. Even though I know the end game will probably be regret. When I pulled into the liquor store parking lot, Carla bounced out of the car and into the store with me trailing behind her. She grabbed a cart and started sliding up and down the aisles, singing an improvised version of my favorite thing. Old Captain Morgan and his friend Sailor Jerry Beer by the case fills him with cheery Brown paper packages filled the glass clinks These are a few of his favorite drinks She loaded bottle after bottle into the cart and then rode her booty to the snack set jerking to just shy of a calamitous stop I grabbed the rack before it toppled. Hot spicy nuts and cheese cheesy doodles. Fill him with happiness and a lot of gas. Oodles and oodles. Wild turkey, she asks. No? Are you sure? It's got wings. Guess that's not one of his favorite things. Carla! I growled as she flew past me and slid to a stop in front of the register. She unloaded her wares as she finished the song, and the clerk looked questioningly from me to her. When the hair of the dog bites, when his pee stings, when he's feeling sad, he simply starts guzzling a few gallons of these, and then he won't feel so bad. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Carla is a whirling dervish of emotional obfuscation and redirection. If she keeps moving, if she keeps it all about someone else, she never has to look over her shoulder for that little girl or think about her little boy. Well, exactly what about a car full of liquor and a three-hour road trip on a lovely day doesn't sound appealing to you, Morneau? Carla asked when we were back in the car and on the road. Everything but the liquor, I replied dryly. It's obvious you're deflecting. We should be working on your case right now. My case isn't going anywhere. We can't do anything until we hear from your FBI friend. And I left him your cell number. So... Why don't you get with the program and try to enjoy yourself? It's exhausting being your personal font of sunshine on a daily basis. You know that? Then how about letting that wellspring run dry? Your sopping wet brand of happy is starting to mold. 
Oh, hardy fucking... Oh. The sound of a police siren cut through her lashed har. When I slid the car to a stop on the shoulder and dropped my head onto the steering wheel with a thump, Carla scoffed. Relax. We're not doing anything illegal. What could go wrong? Cut to exactly three minutes and 42 seconds later, as an officer peered into my window. License and registration, please. Certainly, officer. Carla pushed a button on her iPad, a newly acquired toy, and propped it on the dash, video camera running, pointed in the direction of the action. Then she opened my glove compartment. Fifteen ACDC discs tumbled onto the floor at her feet. I'd recently made the mistake of informing her that she was in dire need of broadening her musical horizons and had even given her some suggestions. Clearly, she'd made a trip to the store in an effort to rub my nose in it. I closed my eyes and sighed loudly. What? I was trying to accommodate your musical preferences. Then why have we been listening to this shit for 30 minutes? I was referring to the CD she'd made. A schizophrenic mix of tracks never meant to be paired together even under the most dire of circumstances. Hello. The officer's irritated interjection was more to remind us of his presence. Carla handed over my car registration along with her license as I pulled out my wallet. Right about the time the cop noticed the cache of alcohol littering the back seat. So I can explain. Carla pointed to me. He is a raging alcoholic. The cop cut his eyes from me to the device that was filming the entire sordid display. Turn it off. Pardon? The video recording device. Turn it off. Her brow furrowed. Why? A whisper of sound came out of me. One I'd hoped she'd translate to. Just turn the iPad off, you stupid twit. I should have stifled that urge. Carla does not take kindly to being ordered to do something she doesn't want to do or being called a twit, even speculatively. Why? Is it illegal to film inside a really old vehicle? Carla was doing that faux innocent thing again, and she never missed an opportunity to remind me that my chocolate brown 67 Plymouth Fury, white leather interior, 240 some odd thousand miles, didn't live up to the most of society's idea of a cool ride. Consequently, I never missed an opportunity to remind Carla that her car had been in the shop four times since we'd met, while mine had never been sullied by the hands of a hack oil change artist. I took care of what needed doing, and in turn, the Fury took care of me. Just turn it off. The cop jotted something down in his ticket book. Carla pulled out her cell phone and dialed a number. After a few seconds, she said, Yes, Jeffrey Fagan, please. Yes, I'll hold. The cop looked up. Who are you calling? She put a finger to her lips to shush the officer and mouth. My lawyer. The cop's left eyebrow shot up as he raked a hand through his hair. The international symbol for, are you fucking kidding me right now? I almost felt sorry for him. 
lady, the cop tried, but Carla finger-shushed him again. Yeah, Uncle Jeffrey, it's Carla. Hi. Good, yeah. Um, I have a, I have a quick question. So I've been pulled over by... No, I didn't get the email. Listen, focus. I've got a cop standing here. No, I'm not under arrest. I don't think. She looked at the cop who appeared to be undergoing a transformation from mildly irritated to somewhere on the verge of a cranial bleed. Since Carla had broken all ties with friends and relatives when she left Florida, I knew she was faking the call, but I was busy mentally shuffling through a dozen synonyms for the word irritation, alphabetically, when I was rudely interrupted by Carla's continued faux conversation. Well, he doesn't look happy. Listen, if I'm ordered to turn off a video recording device in my car after being pulled over for... What are we being pulled over for? The officer spoke through clenched teeth. Twelve miles an hour over the speed limit. Speeding. Carla glared at me. We were speeding. Well, I wasn't. My lead-footed employer was. So if anyone in this scenario has to service inmate 698-645 in the pokey, it better be him. Anyway, we got pulled over. I have a camera going for that documentary I'm working on. You know, the one I was telling you guys about at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She did a bunch of nodding and finally said, Right. Okay, I see. She looked at the cop, did a little cluck-cluck sound with her tongue, and slowly shook her head. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Uncle Jeffrey. Will you stay by the phone just in case the nice officer decides to take us in? I might need bail. She started to pull the phone from her ear and then put it back. What? After listening for a few more seconds, she asked the officer, What's your badge number? And he told me to remind you not to forget to read us our rights. Twenty-five minutes later, after getting a ticket, twin field sobriety tests, a stern talking to, and probably our names added to the no-fly list, we were back on the road. That was stupid. I rolled down the window and took a much-needed deep breath, hoping the cold air would temper the headache that was settling in. Don't call me stupid, Professor Chuggington. You're lucky he didn't arrest us for conspiracy to commit felonious assault on your liver, so quit whining. I'm thinking about invoking a 500-word-a-day rule for you on this trip, Carla. That way you have to think real hard before opening your mouth. Having me as your sidekick ensures this little adventure will be memorable. This isn't an adventure. We're working. Morno, every day is an adventure if you make up your mind to play it that way. In fact, I hope you packed your extra undies, because when I first started working for you, I drafted you a bucket list. I figure maybe we'll cross a few off in the next couple days. She grabbed her purse from the floorboard and pulled out her notepad, flipping pages until she found the one she was looking for, then began to read. One, see Carla naked. She smiled, pulling out a pencil. Hey, look, we can already cross that one off. Christ almighty. I rolled the window back up and turned on the heater. Bungee jumping, that one will probably have to wait. Oh, here's one that could be fun. 
Let's set you up with a room full of hookers and some blow. I could film it for posterity. She continued to consult her list. What else? Uh, riding a donkey down into the basin of the Grand Canyon? That one's doable, but we'd have to go a little out of our way. Oh, hey, here's one. Air balloon ride. I bet we could do that somewhere between here and our destination. There's no way I'm getting into a hot air balloon with the likes of you. Being stuck in this car is bad enough. I need to be able to pull over in case an emergency arises. Like me feeling the sudden urge to pop you in the mouth. Okay, I guess it's hookers and blow then. Carla flipped her notebook closed. Stop saying hookers and blow! Why? Let's get you the cutest couple of honeys we can find and some coke. Ever see that scene in Scarface? I'm talking like a mountain of coke. And then we'll find some shitty hotel and I can hide in the closet and watch. What must have amounted to a look of pure horror crossed my face as I jerked my gaze from the road to her. She pulled out her smartphone again and pushed a button. Sorry, where can we find some hookers and blow? That's not nice. Well, she's not being very helpful. Up until about a week ago, Carla owned one of those untraceable track phones, probably due to the fact that she was doing everything she could to avoid being found. Once it became clear her ex was on her trail, she purchased one of those spiffy eye toys and was talking to the voice on the other end with glaring regularity. I'd heard her ask the disembodied voice everything from the amount of calories in a fast food coffee drink to the best place to hide a dead body. Sorry, are you frigid? Hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Sorry, what's the definition of frigid? Frigid means very cold in temperature. Thanks, Sarah, you're a mensch. Carla clicked the phone off just as the frigid Fraulein inside the overpriced phone started to rattle off the definition of mensch. Here's what I found from LearnReligions.com. Mensch is a Yiddish word meaning a person of integrity. So where do men generally get hookers, Morneau? Are they listed in the yellow pages? And is she the one that sells you the blow, or are we responsible for getting that elsewhere? This is so exciting. If you say blow one more friggin' time, you're fired. What's the big deal? I've never seen a hooker. Or blow. I want to check this shit off my bucket list and move the fuck on. I gotta learn to play the harmonica at some point. And that skydiving thing? Should probably happen before I'm too old to risk the wind turning my brittle bones into ash mid-flight. Don't you remember at the meanwhile one night you told me you went through a hookers and blow phase? I just thought it would be nice to recapture some of your wily youth, since you're bound and determined to drink yourself into oblivion anyway. Might as well go out in a blaze of coked-up herpes-laden glory. I needed a drink, and, as it turned out, drinking myself into a stupor in the back seat while Carla drove toward our destination singing ABBA songs for an hour was not conducive to the sanity I was so gingerly clinging to. After a not-so-brief discussion, we settled for a hole-in-the-wall dive bar off I-75, nestled in a seedy, dilapidated splendor just outside Flint. I noticed a couple of lot lizards plying their trade across the parking lot next to a row of 18-wheelers, but thanked almighty Jesus, Carla didn't appear to see them. To my utter dismay, there was a karaoke competition in full swing when we entered the bar. I paused at the door briefly, trying to decide whether the horrible off-key singing outweighed my need for a beer 
and a little more oxygen between me and my overbearing secretary. You're singing. No, I'm not. I approached a bar and ordered a drink. Yes, you are. If we're not getting hookers and blow, you will at least regale me with song. That's on my bucket list, too. She spoke so loudly, at least a dozen heads turned in our direction. Stop saying hookers and blow. And I won't be regaling you with anything. You can't put stuff for other people to do on your bucket list. Nor can you draft a bucket list for someone else. And as far as I know, neither of us is dying, so it's a moot point. Oh, Morneau, we're all dying. I'm just trying to get a head start on the pre-festivities. Something you should consider, I might add. You're not getting any younger, and your liver is probably on the verge of revolt as we speak. Q, the lovely middle-aged thing with strawberry blonde hair and freckled face that fortuitously walked up to the bar and ordered a beer. Someone say hooker? She asked pleasantly, winking at Carla, then at me. Carla stared at her wide-eyed. Hey, are you... I prefer hourly companion, but in this economy, I'll answer to anything but bitch. She's a hooker, Morneau. She's a redhead, your favorite. A little louder. I don't think the clerk in the shitty roach motel across the street heard you. Petra, the woman offered her hand to Carla and then me. So which one of you is asking? Or is it both? (gasps) Oh my God, is both an option? Carla's overplayed gasp caused another two dozen heads in the joint to swivel in our direction. I immediately slapped a hand over her mouth and pulled her toward me, my mouth an inch from her ear. I need you to stop talking now. What happened to that 500-word-a-day rule? And no, that is not an option under any circumstance, at any time, in any thought or supposition you might let rattle around in that clunky brain of yours. Carla shoved my hand away. You're a party pooper, Morneau. And you never actually invoked the 500-word-a-day rule. You just said you were thinking about it. Bartender, got a pin? I grabbed a cocktail nap. Starting now. Carla scowled. I'm singing. That's two. I scratched two lines on a cocktail napkin. Think word economy. Only 498 left. Carla had her hand splayed out in front of my face, fingers counting off each word. You're an ass. I scratched four more tick marks on the napkin before Carla grabbed it from me and wrote, Song lyrics don't count. Then scooted off her stool and huffed toward the back of the bar. Three hours, four badly executed power ballads, an hour assuring Petra we wouldn't be in need of her services, and more beers than I care to remember later, it was clear that Carla and I weren't going anywhere. As we staggered into the parking lot with dusk bearing down on us, I looked across the street at the dilapidated strip motel. I hope you enjoy sleeping in a room tainted with the scent of despair. Because that's where we're bunking tonight, Buttercup. <laughs>